0: Heavenly Father, we ask that you would look upon us in our weakness and in our troubles and send your Spirit to deliver us. O Lord, have mercy upon us now, for we have not forgotten your law. Instead, we have come to hear from your word and to put it into practice. And so we ask for your blessing upon us even now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of 1 Samuel as we learn about the establishment of the monarchy in Israel. The Israelites have come out, of course, under the leadership of Moses from Egypt many years ago, and then they travelled in the wilderness for some time and eventually entered into the Promised Land under the leadership of Joshua. And then they've had a series of judges, and Samuel the prophet is the last of these judges before they requested a a king like other nations. And so Saul has become the first king of Israel. But then we've seen that Saul has been disobedient to God in a number of different ways and so God has promised that he will strip the kingdom from Saul and give it to someone who is a man after his own heart and we've seen that that man is the boy David who has gradually risen to greater and greater fame within Israel we've been watching David's rise over the previous weeks we've seen how he killed Goliath and was established in the eyes of the Israelites as a great warrior and then he's gone on a series of military campaigns pains and has shown again and again that the Lord is with him by the way that he has success after success in fighting the Philistines. And so we can see that it's becoming quite apparent that, uh, that David is indeed God's Messiah. He is His Christ. He is one who has been anointed by him to deliver God's people. But we also see that Saul is increasingly hostile towards the Christ, towards David, He has tried to murder David in the previous chapter. And even in this chapter, we see again that Saul hasn't changed a bit. Even as David has success after success, and people see again and again that God is with David, Saul is having none of it. And he continues to try to murder David. But in this chapter, we see Saul, in chapter 19, we see Saul's attempts on David's life, but we also see how David continues to make escape after escape and in different ways, once again proving that the Lord is with David. How does he escape in different ways? Well, one way is by Saul's son, Jonathan, informing on his father and telling David what his father was trying to do. We see that in verse 2. He warns David, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. And then he goes and tries to make peace between David and Saul. He tries to reason with his father. Another way that David is delivered from the hand of Saul is by his dexterity once again. He jumps out of the way of a spear that is hurled at him while he is playing the harp. Not sure how big the harp must have been. If it was a really large harp, it'd be very you know, difficult to jump out of the way as someone hurls a spear at you. Uh, but obviously, he is uh, protected by the Lord once more in that he is able to leap out of the way, as we see in verses 9 and 10, and make good his escape. And it's not just that he is delivered from the hand of Saul by Jonathan uh, and by his own dexterity, we understand that he's delivered by the daughter of Saul as well, Michal. Michal deceives her father with the old pillow in the bed trick, you know, you put the pillow in the bed and people think that you're actually there when you're not. Uh, She uses an idol, which is interesting that she's got an idol around the house and maybe you want to talk to me at the door about that afterwards, what's she doing with an idol in the house when she's meant to be uh, part of the people of God. But she deceives her father, once again showing that the Lord is with David, that he's got these people who are supporting him and helping him to make his escape and then the greatest way that we see the lord's hand delivering david and proving that he is with his christ is by the way that the holy spirit protects david from the men that saul sends and even from saul himself we see that in verses 19 to 24 word comes to Uh, to Saul, that David is at Niath, at Ramah. And so what does he do? Verse 20, so he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. The Spirit of God comes upon these men and puts them into some sort of prophetic... Uh, state. It could be some sort of trance. We see later on that he uh, saw himself, he lies all day and night. Uh, so we're not quite sure what it means that he prophesied. Uh, it may be a divine utterance was given through his lips. It may have been uh, prophecy in the Old Testament is often associated with music as well. It may have been that he sang, or it may have been that he just went into some sort of trance. It's hard to know. But we see the Spirit of God clearly protecting David here by coming upon these soldiers so that they cannot function anymore other than to give glory to God in prophecy. And it's not just once that this happens. We see it happens in verse 20 and Saul is told about it and we read in verse 21 Saul was told about it and he sent more men and they prophesied too. So a second group of soldiers is taken over by the power of God so that they do not have self-control any longer. What does Saul do? Well, verse 21 Saul sent men a third time and They were successful? No, they also prophesied. The Spirit of God came upon them. And so you think at this point, Saul would accept that God is protecting this man and I should back off. And I should really accept this man, David. But what does Saul do? He says, well, basically, if you want to do something, you've got to do it yourself. And so what does he do? Well, we read in verse 22. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Niath at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Niath at Ramah. But the Spirit of God came even upon him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Niath. He stripped off his robes and also prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay that way all that day and night. And this is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? David is delivered yet again by God and this time it's by the Holy Spirit coming upon three groups of soldiers and even Saul himself. And so wouldn't you think that Saul now, after himself losing control of his faculties because of God's Spirit, he would accept David But no, we see that he continues to try to murder David in subsequent chapters. And even if you look over into chapter 20, which we didn't read this morning, but look with me at chapter 20, verse 31, where Saul is getting angry with his son, Jonathan, for accepting David. And he says in verse 31, "'As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, "'neither you nor your kingdom will be established. "'Now send and bring him to me, for he must die.'" he continues to seek the life of the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah, even though he's got so much evidence screaming at him that I should leave this guy alone. My children accept him. My men cannot touch him. And even when I go to try and kill him, I'm unsuccessful because I go into some sort of prophetic trance. And I lose even my clothes. I strip off and prophesy naked. Now, whether he's actually fully naked is another uh, matter for debate. You can use the, word, uh, the Hebrew word there for he's in some sort of underwear. But nevertheless, there's this warning from God, I think, that as he loses his armor, he loses his royal robes, that you've got to watch what you're doing, mate, if you keep going after the Lord's anointed, that you will lose your throne and your armor, At some point, if you keep going on down this track. But Saul, we see, continues to go after the Lord's anointed rather than accept the Lord's anointed to accept the Christ. Now, why does Saul do this? Why does Saul, in the face of such overwhelming evidence that David should be accepted, why does he continue to go after the Messiah with great hatred? Well, it's because he's got a hard heart, like other kings In the Old Testament, we see again and again that people have these hard hearts that even in the face of great evidence, they continue to resist God and his servant. What other kings do we see doing this in the Old Testament? I'll give you two uh, classic examples. One that seems to have a very close parallel with what we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 19. Look with me at 2 Kings. Chapter 1. So turn a few pages over, forward. So uh, it's about King Ahaziah. 2 Kings, Chapter 1, which is found on page 358. Page 358. 358. 2 Kings, Chapter 1. Ahaziah's a king over Israel. Uh, So the kingdom is split at this point into the northern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Israel, and you've got the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And Ahaziah's the king and we read this very interesting incident which i'm sure you're going to see very close parallels with what we've just read about saul and his soldiers but in this case it's going to be with elijah and ahaziah's soldiers we'll read from verse one first one of second kings chapter one two kings one after ahab's death moab rebelled against israel Now Ahaziah, that's the king of Israel, had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied. And he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him, This is what the, god, the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending men to consult Baal-Zabub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. The king asked them, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah, the Tishbite. See what's happening here? We've got the king, King Ah Ahaziah. He's had a fall. He's worried about his life. So then he consults a foreign god about whether he will survive well he doesn't consult he sends men to consult this god and they're confronted by the man of god elijah on the way and he says you're going to die because you're consulting a god outside of israel is there no god in israel i am the god of israel you should be consulting me and ahaziah knows exactly who elijah is he knows by the description of him and by the message that's given that this is elijah and so what does he do in face of the evidence that god has given through elijah What does he do? How does he respond? Well, let's read verse 9. Verse 9, 2 Kings chapter 1. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, Men of God, this is what the king says, come down at once. If I'm a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Sound familiar? 1 Samuel chapter 19, Saul sends these men. They try to... Attack David, and what happens? The spirit of God comes upon them, so they lose their their control, their self-control. Here, it's a little bit worse. Much rather fall into a prophetic trance than to have fire fall down from heaven. But we see it happen twice here. What happened in one Samuel chapter nineteen? We see Saul sends one group of men; they prophesy. Another group of men; they prophesy. You think Saul's going to stop? No, he sends another group of men, and a third time they prophesy. What does Ahaziah do? Verse thirteen. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Men of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult baal the God of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. See the hardness of heart of Ahazah here. There is a group that is softened in their hearts in this story, and that's the third group of 50 men with their captain, They recognise the evidence that they should be respecting the Lord's anointed, Elijah. That they should respect this person who God is clearly with. But we see that Saul has a hardness of heart in 1 Samuel chapter 19. And it continues through the Bible. I mean, the classic example of a king with a hard heart, when you think of someone who hardens his heart again and again in the face of great evidence that he should soften his heart towards God... Who's the example? Well, it's the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Again and again we're told he hardened his heart. Even though plague after devastating plague hits Egypt. Ten plagues, one after another, clearly from God. And what does Pharaoh do? He still chases Israel into the Red Sea. Hardness of heart again and again in the life of Pharaoh, despite overwhelming evidence that I should show respect to this man of God, Moses, and his people. And it carries over into the New Testament as well. Where in the New Testament do we see a hardness of heart in leadership? Well, of course, it's with the religious leaders. Again and again, they harden their hearts towards the Christ, towards the Lord Jesus Christ. He does a miracle after miracle after miracle. And what do they do? They attribute it to... They attribute it to the kingdom of darkness. And even when he raises Lazarus from the dead, clearly having power over the dead, what do they do? Do they submit themselves to this Messiah? We should not touch him. Instead, we should accept him and support him. No, we read in John chapter 12, verse 10, that the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, as well as Jesus, if we can kill Lazarus, we can disprove that he has done an extraordinary miracle. And then even after Jesus is raised from the dead and the apostles are doing great miracles, they see this evidence that God is at with these men, that God is with these men. And instead of accepting the evidence and accepting the apostles and accepting a place within the church, they continue to harass and flog and imprison the apostles. An example is in uh, Acts chapter Acts chapter 3 and 4 where Peter heals the crippled man from birth at the temple gate and they actually say, in Acts chapter 4 verse 16, this is the, the religious leaders, they say, everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. Everybody knows that these apostles have done an outstanding miracle and we can't deny it evidence is there right before us we should accept these guys no they proceed to tell them don't teach in this man's name anymore the evidence is there but because of a hardness of heart they continue to reject the lord's people and of course the lord himself and this is the case today as well are such people around today Well, yes, there are many who reject the Messiah, despite the evidence which is overwhelming. There's a very famous atheist, Bertrand Russell, and when asked what he would say when facing God on Judgment Day, Bertrand Russell replied that he would say, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. There are people out there who claim that there is not enough evidence to accept God and to accept his anointed one to accept his Christ, just like Samuel, uh, Saul would not accept David, clearly the Lord's anointed so many years ago, and therefore would not accept God. But you may be saying, do we have evidence today, like Saul had, proving that we should accept God and accept his Christ? Well, the answer is yes. We have overwhelming evidence all around us that God is there and he is not silent and he has sent a Christ into this world to save us. Where do we have this evidence? Well, firstly, creation. Creation screams at us that there is a God. Psalm 19, verse 1. Classic text. If you think of a psalm that speaks about the evidence that we have that God is there. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare... The glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Creation speaks to everyone doesn't matter what people group you are, what language you have, their speech comes to people and says, there is a God and he has great power, he has great goodness, and you should worship him. But instead, what do we have? We have souls all around us. In spite of the overwhelming evidence that we are creatures and there is a creator, they say, not enough evidence. Not enough evidence. Is there other evidence though? Yes, the Word of God. We have what we call general revelation, which is creation, but we also have special revelation where God actually speaks to us through His Word. The word testifies again and again that we should believe in God and accept his Messiah. In John chapter 20, verse 31, where John the Apostle sums up his whole book, he says, these are written, these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Lord's anointed, just as David was the Lord's anointed, Jesus is the Christ, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But does this evidence that we have before us mean that everyone believes no not necessarily Souls are still with us today even evidence contained in this word that someone was raised to life from the dead and i'm not talking about lazarus this time i'm talking about the lord jesus himself he said i can take up again i can come up from the grave i can lay down my life and i can take it up again And he did. And you would say, if someone comes back to life, surely people will accept that evidence and trust in God. Surely that would happen. And that's what we saw in Luke chapter 16, where the rich man and Lazarus are there. This Lazarus is this this poor man who's at his gate. The rich man dies. He's in torment. And he says, please let me go back and tell my brothers so that they don't have to come to this place of torment. He says to Abraham, please, let me go back. I beg you, Father, send Lazarus... Oh, no, not send me. Send Lazarus to my father's house. Sorry. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replies what? They have Moses and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He's convinced of it. If someone rises from the dead, they will repent. That's evidence they cannot deny. They have to believe if they get that kind of evidence. What does Abraham say to the rich man? He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead even if they see someone rise from the dead they will not accept it and we see that with someone like Saul he's got overwhelming evidence that he should respect David but he continues to reject David but is there other evidence around us creations there we've got scripture yes there's other evidence there's changed lives in others around us We see Saul, he had evidence that Jonathan accepted David. Mikkal accepted David. You think he would think, if my children accept this guy, maybe I should accept him too. If people see changed lives of family members, surely they would accept that God is there and he's at work in his Messiah. But no, not necessarily. Saul's are still here. We see people who have dramatic conversions, total switches. And family members remain unregenerate. And they even, I've heard stories where they say, I actually liked him when, he was my, when my son was a bad boy. I don't like this, this new person who's all lovey-dovey and soft. I don't like that he's become a Christian. I liked him when he was a bit more naughty. They see a change in this person, dramatic change, and they're not interested in the evidence. What about other evidence? We've got the creation around us. We've got the word. We've got the lives of others changed around us. Even our own lives can be changed and we can reject the evidence that is there. Saul's own life testified that he should leave David alone. He was taken over by the Holy Spirit and prophesied. You think after that incident, when he loses control of his faculties, he would respect God. He doesn't, and we see that today as well. People can have the hand of God upon them doing amazing things, and yet they still reject Christ. Jesus warns, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, Away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. People prophesy in Christ's name, perform many miracles in Christ's name, people drive out demons in Christ's name. But Jesus says to them, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. There are many unregenerate ministers out there who've been used by God to bring people to Christ. They have been able to preach powerfully in Christ's name, but have never listened themselves. They've never accepted the evidence for themselves. They have so much around them. Creation screams at them. The word screams at them. The lives of others change scream at them. The way God even affects their life is evidence but they continue to be like Saul and reject Jesus Christ. So is lack of evidence the problem of to why as to why people do not accept the Messiah? They do not accept Jesus? No, there's plenty of evidence. There was plenty of evidence for Saul to accept David. There's plenty of evidence for everyone today to accept Jesus Christ. So what's the problem? What's the problem for Saul? What was the problem for Ahaziah? What was the problem for Pharaoh? What was the problem for the Pharisees? What's the problem for people today? It's not a lack of evidence. It's hard hearts. Hard hearts. They don't want to accept the evidence. The evidence is there. Bertrand Russell doesn't want the evidence. He doesn't want a changed life. He doesn't want to submit to the Lord's anointed, just like Saul didn't want to submit to the Lord's anointed. He was told, I'm going to, by God, I'm going to take away the kingdom from you and give it to someone else. When David showed up, he should have been willing to pass on the baton, but he didn't want to. And that's the problem for the kings through the Bible, that's the problem for the Pharisees. They didn't want to pass on the baton to Jesus, and that's the problem for people today as well. They don't want to come in under the leadership of Jesus Christ. Repeated evidence that God gives is like repeated force on the human skin. What happens if you get repeated force coming on the human skin? It either has two effect, one of two effects. It either softens the skin and the skin breaks, and whatever is causing the force gets in. Or well, what's the other response that the human skin can have? It calluses up. It hardens, and it gets harder and harder, and the force. As it comes again and again, all it does is cause further hardening of the, of, the, of the skin. And it's the same with the human soul. The evidence is all there. As you go about your life, creation screams it at you. As you hear from the word, the evidence is there coming against your, your soul. As you look at the changed lives of others, it's evidence coming against your soul that God is there. As you look at your own life and God at work in it, The evidence is there coming against your soul now it has two effects one of two effects either your heart is softened and you accept god in or it becomes harder and harder and harder and harder as you go about your day rather than becoming softer as you see creation speaking so powerfully about the existence of your creator you become harder as you hear god's word about your creator once again and about his Messiah, Jesus Christ, your heart becomes harder. As you sit in a pew on a Sunday morning, you either become softer or harder. You become more calloused towards the word of God. Is that you this morning? Are you becoming more and more calloused? Why is it a problem? if you're becoming callous? Why is it so much of a problem to have a hard heart and not accept Christ in spite of the evidence? Well, what happened to Saul? What happened to Saul when he refused to accept the Lord's anointed? Well, there was increasing fear. We see that, particularly in chapter 18. Again and again, it says he was more afraid. He was more afraid. Increasing fear, increasing bitterness, increasing sadness. We see that as you... If you read through to the end of 1 Samuel this afternoon, you see how sad and dejected he becomes. Until what? Suicide. He actually commits suicide. And then what happens? His armour is stripped off. The armour that he would have loved to inflict upon David, the Lord's anointed, it's stripped off, his head is taken off, and his body is hung on a wall. That's what happened to someone who rejected the Lord's anointed. What happened to Ahaziah's soldiers, at least the, two, the first two detachments? Fire fell from heaven on those people who had no respect for God's prophet. So what will happen to you if you reject the Christ despite the evidence all around you? Increasing bitterness and sadness. And eventually, one day, God will strip off your royal robes. And all your armour, and you will stand naked before the judge of all the earth. And then eternal fire will fall from heaven on you for eternity. That's what happens to hard hearts, to those who are calloused to the evidence that God gives of Himself and His anointed one. Whereas if you accept Christ, if your heart is softened, as the evidence comes against you. If you accept the Christ, what happens? Increasing joy and peace and eternal security under the Lord's anointed. You see that with David. He's giving great increasing peace to Israel by his actions. And that's what the Christ actually does, Jesus Christ does. He gives increasing peace to his people until we go into that eternal security in heaven itself. So I beg you, don't harden your heart towards God like foolish Saul did despite the evidence. Are you so callous that even as I speak to you now instead of being softened you're hardened to the Christ and reject him? What do you do instead? What should you do instead of hardening? How do you accept Christ? Well it's by repenting of your attempts to murder him. That's what you're doing when you reject him, you're attempting to murder him just like Saul attempted to murder David so many years ago and You repent of that and you trust in him. Ask him to be your king. Hand your life over to Christ. Come under his authority, as Saul should have done with David. And if you're here this morning and you have handed your life over to Christ, you are trusting in him, what should you learn from 1 Samuel chapter 19? What should you do? Well, you should thank God that he softened your heart by the evidence and the power of the Spirit, so that instead of hardening up towards him, you softened and you accepted him. And instead of facing eternal judgment and eternal fire from heaven, you face eternal reward and happiness and joy, which you do not deserve, but all comes because of the Lord's anointed, his Messiah, his Christ. We should thank him, because if he hadn't softened, our heart then we would still be like saul saul looks so foolish in 1 samuel 19 the men that he sends are taken over by the spirit of god he himself is taken over by the spirit of god what a fool for not accepting god and his anointed one we would be the same It's easy to laugh at those who do not accept the evidence that you can clearly see in creation, in his word, in the lives of those around you, in your life. But if it wasn't for God, softening your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would never have accepted it. And so every day, rather than looking down upon others for not accepting the evidence and for laughing at Bertrand Russell, we should recognise that apart from God, we would be a Bertrand Russell And we would say not enough evidence not enough evidence but because of his grace and his love and his compassion for us he softened our heart so that instead of hardening callousing up towards him we accepted him and now have an eternal reward to look forward to instead of an eternal judgment let's come before God in prayer let's speak with him Heavenly Father we thank you for making yourself known in creation in your word, in our lives and the lives of people around us. We ask that you would forgive us for our doubts and our hardness of heart towards your Christ despite the evidence that is all around us. We ask that you would soften our hearts by your spirit more and more so that we all joyfully accept the Lord Jesus Christ as King and rejoice in the peace he gives and look forward to our heavenly home.